Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Good morning. My name is Wes, pastor of Men's Ministry, Missions and Outreach here. North, best job in the world. Glad to be sharing with you today. Uh, Jay gave the opportunity and took the risk on giving me the pulpit today, so here we go. <laughs> I have this uh, joke. It's kind of a joke, and it's kind of not a joke with some of my buddies that when it's preaching week, uh, things just seem to go wrong. It's the seven days leading up to standing up in front of you this morning and, and sharing what, what I believe the Lord wants to share with us this morning. And, but those weeks seem to just, everything, you know, the car breaks down or, you know, something happens and we go, yep, it's preaching week. That's, that's the way it goes. And this week was no exception to that rule. I started out Monday at a funeral in Kansas City. I don't normally go to funerals in Kansas City on a Monday, but I was this week. A couple days later, had some drama with extended family, and my wife and myself were hurt by that uh, drama. And then a couple days after that, my oldest son uh, fractures his thumb in a, a basketball game, and so we spent all night in the urgent care getting all that fixed up. And so we're like, yeah, preaching week. Here it comes. So then we come here this morning, and I believe that honestly things really do kind of seem to happen uh, worse or more things happen on those weeks, probably for a reason. Probably because uh, there's, there's a message for me, and there's a message for hopefully for you that the Lord wants for me, wants for you, and that there's, there's, you know, there's opposition to that. There are forces that don't want that to happen. They want to distract or whatever that case may be. So let's press in this morning to uh, hear what the Lord has for us. And you know, um, thing, you know, another awful thing that happened this week is terrible, is the elf on a shelf in our house actually took down our Christmas tree with a <laughs> Harry Potter wand and a spell that he... It's terrible. Our kids were so sad. Terrible. So preaching week. Here we are, uh, hearing from the Lord what he has for us today. If you've been here or you've been listening online the last 10 weeks or so, we have had a focus uh, that kind of interwoven into all the messages, all the prayers, all the worship that we've had over the last 10 weeks. And that focus has been on our true king. What does it mean that our true king is Jesus and how do we live according to that belief, the truth that Jesus is our true king? Whether it was the first series that Jay did about the mission of our church that was true king, true calling, and true people, or this last seven weeks in the book of Esther on the hidden kingdom, present king, interwoven was this focus on having a true king in our life and in our world. And to continue that focus and to kind of wrap that, that idea of a true king up is our Advent season. So we are in Advent right now. We've actually, we're in week three of Advent. Uh, the last two weeks, uh, Jay has talked about, two weeks ago, he talked about hope, and this hope that we have in our true king, hope that we have in Christ, and then last week it was on joy. So the progression kind of during the Advent season, or this Advent meaning anticipation, Advent is the anticipation of the coming of our Lord Jesus 
our true king, is, is this idea that we have, first we place our hope in Christ. And then because of that hope in Christ, then we get to experience joy and true joy. And then because of that joy, then we get to experience faith and we get to grow in our faith. Hope, joy, and then faith, which is what we're talking about today. Today we're going to talk about faith, faith in Christ, faith in his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, faith in all the promises that he made, faith in the words that he said, and in the deeds he did. Today's passage is a powerful story. It's always been a powerful story for me. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, uh, 21 verses 1 through 4. You can turn in your, your phones or your Bibles, or you can look at the screen, or you can just listen to it this morning. But after I pray, I'm going to read these four verses of this powerful story, and then after that, we're going to kind of just pan back a little bit and look at the context in which we have these these four verses, this, this story that we're going to look at today, because it gives us this crazy scene of which we find ourselves in when we look at these four verses. So let me pray, and then we'll open up God's Word together. The Holy Spirit, I invite you in right now. We continue to invite you to be here with us. You have a message for each of us this morning, whether it's something that, that I say or something that you say to our hearts and our minds today. We just want to embrace you, be open to your leading Holy Spirit. We thank you and we praise you in your name. Amen. So let's look at Luke 21, verses 1 through 4. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. This is a crazy story to me, that Jesus looks up and he sees this, there's this scene where these religious people, the elite of folks who are known to have the corner on faith or, or God are putting in these big amounts of money out of their wealth into this kind of an offering box. Or basically this was a place people brought their money for, you know, to, for the purposes of God. And they were doing this loudly and allowing people to see them and know what they're doing. And then there's this widow who no one is paying attention to puts in a very, very small amount. She was poor. She wasn't just poor financially, even though she was impoverished financially, but she was poor in life circumstances. In this culture, she would have just been a forgotten or an outcast as she was a widow, as she was older, and as she was a woman. She would have been forgotten. But she puts in these two small copper coins. They're actually called mites, M-I-T-E-S, these two copper coins, and these mites, the two of them together would have equaled a total of one penny. This is what the widow puts in. She literally puts in one penny. And Jesus calls it out. He sees it and says that her gift is much more. Like, that's just, that's crazy to me. Whether you have a faith in Jesus or you don't have a faith in Jesus yet, that, that story is upside down. It's ironic. 
So now I want to look at the context in which these, these, just these four verses, what's going on here in the scene. All right, and to give an example of the context of which we're going to see, I want to give a real life example. So I want you to raise your hand with me if, if you have ever coerced someone or manipulated someone into saying something that you, they didn't want to say, but you wanted them to say it anyway. If you ever, you ever coerced someone to do that, raise your hand. Okay, yep. <clears throat> uh, so I'm guilty of this at times. Uh, it's basically, you could try and catch someone in a lie, maybe. Kind of like being a detective. Uh, I've done this on many occasions. More often than I'd like to admit, I've tried to catch people in lies. Uh, or another way to say it is, I think I know what the truth is, and I just want them to say it. So I ask the right questions and in the right way to kind of push them back into the corner where they have to say the thing that they don't want to say. My family loves when I do this. My kids especially. My friends have experienced this with me. Basically, I, I ask questions to corral them into the corner, and they're forced to admit the thing that I'm wanting them to admit. Now, there, I guess it could be a, a, a good quality in learning how, if I have the right motives, learning how to draw things out of people. Uh, but there's also kind of this negative, icky side of it where you could manipulate someone with your questions to get this response that you're looking for. The, the, whether it's good or bad, the person on the other end of those questions, the person being asked those manipulative questions, being corralled back, it's very uncomfortable for them. It's a tough place to be in. It's unsettling. It puts you on the defensive. It's intrusive and it's manipulative. And that is exactly what is happening in the story when we pick up the story of the widow. There are these holy people of Jesus' day, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, that are coercing Jesus, manipulating Jesus, asking these questions in such a manner to get him to say something that they can use against him. So if you go back to the beginning of, of chapter 20, Luke 20, we find that Jesus is teaching in the temple courts. Now the, the temple obviously was a place of worship. Uh, with the temple courts were the areas outside of that where the public would be all the time. So this is a modern day picture. This is a very, very, very busy day at one of the temples. But the temple was flooded with people all the time. These temple courts were public. They were for everyone. Widows who were, no one would have known, the religious elite and everything in between. This was a, a crowded hub of where people were all the time. And what's going on here is Jesus and his disciples are getting tons of attention. Because Jesus is performing miracles, crowds are following him everywhere, his disciples are performing miracles, crazy things are happening. There is a buzz in the air. And so now Jesus is in this public place, and he's teaching. And while he is teaching, these holy people are accusing him of things publicly in front of the disciples, in front of other people, are asking these questions in such a way to trip him up so they can ultimately kill him. They challenge his authority. But Jesus sees through it. He knows their motives. He knows what's going on. And he keeps giving these great answers to their questions to where they're true, but they're kind of cloaked in mystery, so they're not quite sure exactly what he's saying. He even says a parable that tells this story that's basically, I know what you're asking me right now, and I know you're trying to kill me, and I'm going to just say this parable just to irritate you. I love that. 
Then they try and trick him into saying incriminating things about really detailed things like taxes, the resurrection, marriage, and then who the Messiah is. And he continues to give these pointed yet mysterious answers where he reveals their true heart and their evil intentions, and it, it upsets them greatly. This is an incredible scene. It's happening for so many people to see all at the same time. And then the last three verses, just before our passage about the widow today, we end chapter 20 of Luke with these three verses. While all the people were listening, Jesus says to his disciples, so everyone there is listening, including his disciples, and he says this, beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and look to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. So Jesus gives these warnings in front of the people that he's warning, in front of everyone, this crazy scene that's a public, busy, loud, threatening, emotional, political, and complicated scene. All eyes are on Jesus during this moment. And that's why I think it's so significant that when we come to the next verse, it says, Jesus looks up. Jesus looks up, and he notices in the middle of that scene the most ridiculously humble, quiet, small, and some would say meaningless gift from a meaningless person. And he talks about how beautiful it is. So one takeaway for us today is simply this. That Jesus looks up and he sees you. No matter the scene that's going on around you in your life, he looks up and he sees you. He notices you. He knows who you are. Maybe the scene is chaotic, like a Where's Waldo picture where, you know, you're like, where is, that's, Jesus knows where we are. Jesus is like, bam, there you are. See, right there, there's Waldo. Whether your life is crazy and loud and messy and complicated and emotional, or you just kind of alone, or you're quiet, or maybe you're off on the side, no one's really paying attention to you, Jesus looks up and he sees you. I want to focus a little bit more on verses 3 and 4. Jesus says, Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people give their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So to be clear, Jesus is not saying that the gifts that the wealthy gave were, were worthless. He doesn't say that. But what he does say is that what she gave is worth so much more because of the place that she was in her life, and she gave all of it. She had so little, and then she gave all of it in comparison to the motives that the other guys had that were all about look at me, and then they gave out of their wealth. They gave a portion of what they had. But she gave out of a faith, a love, and a trust in God. And then it says, she gave out of her poverty, out of poverty all she had. 
And so this, this part has bothered me over the last couple weeks, to be honest with you. Because I'm reminded of this question and I don't know if I can fully answer it. How can I give out of my poverty? How can you give out of your poverty? Because obviously that's what Jesus is lifting up in this story. I'm not sure if I have an area of my life that is impoverished. I'm not sure what the message is for me, except that Jesus points it out right here. He lifts up the person who gives everything they have rather than giving from their excess. So as I wrestle with that question, I've been saying, God, what does it mean for me to give out of my my poverty? What does it mean for our our church body to give out of poverty? And this phrase kept coming up in my head and in my heart, sacrificial faith. I don't think it fully answers the question, but I think it gets us in the direction of giving out of our poverty if we sacrificially give or we have a sacrificial faith. So during this season of anticipation or advent of who our true king is, his birth, we have hope in who he is and we have joy, and then we're looking at what it means to have a sacrificial faith. Because, and it's not just to have a sacrificial faith, it's because of who Jesus is. He gave us our salvation. He forgave us of our sins. We have eternity with him in heaven. We have his Holy Spirit with us right now. So out of that begs the question, what does it mean to have a sacrificial faith? The passage today is challenging. Um, and I think it's worth looking at different areas of our life. Okay, so you say sacrificial faith. Well, what are the areas in which I could potentially give out of a sacrificial faith? And one would be with our money or our possessions. What would it mean for you to have a sacrificial faith in regards to your money or possessions? Or what about your time? What about the gifts that you have and talents that you have? What about the relationships that you have in your life? So how could we give sacrificially with our time? it may require a deeper faith in Jesus. So you might get to the end of your day a couple times a week and you have an extra 30 minutes. Like literally all the stuff is done that needs to be done and you are going to go to sleep in a half an hour. You could, you could ask the question, okay, if I'm going to sacrificially give of this time right now, Lord, what would you have me do? You would just, just asking that question. How could we give sacrificially with our money or our possessions? It may require a deeper faith in Jesus. How could we give sacrificially with our gifts or our talents? It may require a deeper faith in Jesus. We have a meal ministry here at North, and when there's a need of a family or an individual who you know, needs help and they need some meals for a week or so, we send out an email, a bunch of you, a bunch of you get it, and you're faithful to use your gift of making delicious food And then you make that meal, you pray over it, and you take it to them. That is one step in that direction of using your gift or your talent sacrificially. How could we give sacrificially with our relationships? It may require a deeper faith in Jesus. Um, I want to introduce a friend of mine today, Kathy Coca. Come on up to the stage here. Kathy's going to share with you a journey that the Lord took her on the last five years or so. Uh, Kathy and John and her two kids have been a part of North for a really long time, and uh, she's going to share a little bit about 
uh, this story, but I think it, what it does is it reveals to us a little bit of what it looks like to have a sacrificial faith. Okay. Thanks, Wes. So it was about seven, eight years ago. I'm not a journaler. It's still sacrilegious, but I don't. So I don't have the exact date down. But um, seven or eight years ago, I felt a really strong leading that I needed to quit my job. Um, wouldn't let go, and so I kept thinking about it, and I went to John, my husband, and said, hey, I think God's asked me to quit my job, and he said, well, you know, it's easy to find a job when you have one, and I said, I know, and I would never, ever give anyone else this career advice, but I feel like at this point, if I don't do it, I'm not really listening to God, so he said, all right, we'll figure it out, so after I gave my notice, um, instead of a paying job, someone asked me, would you care for someone who needs to be down in Phoenix um, to have surgery, and I said, sure, love to. And that was gonna be a few weeks. It ended up, for a lot of reasons, turning into six months. Um, that and a lot of other things happening in my life really ushered in probably one of the most difficult seasons for me, emotionally, physically, spiritually, um, really all of that. It wasn't what I had anticipated, and then at the end of that, about six month period, I went into my closet, not because I was a big prayer warrior, but because it was the only place I could find privacy in my house. And I had an emotional breakdown. I just told God, not so much in a prayer as I was yelling kind of at him, a rant really, um, I can't do this anymore. And he stopped me dead in my tracks. He said, this is what it is to follow me. You deny yourself and you pick up your cross. And I said out loud back, that's how profound it was, okay. And I wiped my tears, and I put on my happy face, and I went out um, to serve this person. Now, that verse he gave me in the closet from Luke was a theme over the next two years. It, it, like, it wouldn't let up. Everywhere I went, you know the annoying things people do in traffic, like driving slow in the fast lane when you have somewhere to be? Or you have to switch lanes or get off, and they close that gap? Even in that, God was saying, well, why is your time more important? Why is where you need to be more important? Really? I'm kind of type A, and that was annoying. Um, in Costco, even, he would use trips to Costco. You know what Costco is like on a Saturday? Yeah, I probably don't even need to say more. But this particular Saturday um, was really hard for me. Friday night before, uh, my sister called, told me her daughter, my niece, had been killed tragically. And I had to go to Costco because I was also throwing a party for my daughter for her graduation. And my emotions were right here. I could barely even get through Costco. I think I cried through the whole way. But when I got there, this guy grabs a cart, almost like pushing me out of the way to get to a cart and in a hurry, gets right in front of me and stops. I'm like, are you kidding me? Right? That's where, what? Does he even have any idea what I am going through? And that voice was the Holy Spirit. Do you know what he's going through? Why is your pain greater than maybe the pain he has today? And after about two years um, of this relentless theme, I got tested in traffic once again. And I was driving north on the 51, trying to get over so I didn't have to exit Shea, and no one would let me in. And I'm doing speeding up, slowing down, putting the blinker. I'm like, seriously? So I get kicked off at Shea, and if any of you know, there's a little prayer garden off of Shea called Canaan in the Desert. And I wasn't going again. I'm not this spiritual example. I was going because it was nice weather. I wasn't going to be spiritual, but 
I'm like, oh, it's pretty. Canaan in the desert. You know, I have a minute. I'll stop in there. And when I parked, I got out of my car. I wasn't there but two steps out of my car. And God said, you know, I had a title once too. That was, it wasn't audible, but you know those times, if you've had them, they stop you dead in your tracks? I had a title once too. I was king of kings and lord of lords, and I laid it all down to walk among the unlovely and the unlovable. I came to wash feet. I came to serve and not be served. I came to die. And so what I'm asking of you, and he brought that verse from two years ago in my closet, I'm asking you, deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. The reason why that was just so profound is because the idea of he had a title once too <laughs> spoke right to my heart. See, I'd spent most of my life striving um, to be the perfect student, the perfect employee, to have the right income, the right title, the right position so that I could convince myself and everybody else around me that I had significance, that I had value, that I was important. And God was saying, <laughs> That's not the strategy for you anymore. I want you to deny yourself. So it was right after that, right in that garden, as he spoke that, I said, okay, I get it. And I really did feel healed in that moment, that, that healing that I needed from striving, the striving that's so exhausting. I felt like God had given me freedom in that. But he was suggesting that I let all my previous ways of living go. And so in that moment, I said, I get it, and I prayed the prayer that Mary, the mother of Jesus, prayed, here I am. Do with me what you will. I'm your servant. Um, a few days later, I was invited to come to a worship service with homeless women at Phoenix Rescue Missions Changing Life Center. And it was there worshiping with the most broken of women that I went, oh my gosh, this is where I'm supposed to be. Now, I've been working there for five years, and... Um, it has been the best five years of my life. Um, I'm not sure I've been a real gift to the mission, but it is the Phoenix Rescue Mission that God has used to continue to teach me to deny myself, to become less, um, and to let him really lead. And uh, I've been a believer since I was 15, but I have to say the adventure and the joy and the freedom really began when I started to live like this. Okay, Lord, here I am. Just do with me what you will. True appreciation to Kathy. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray over Kathy, uh, but I also want to let you know that recently North has started supporting financially Phoenix Rescue Mission, so thank you for your faithfulness uh, with that. And we'd like to, that's right, we'd like to support ministries that you can literally have ownership over and serve with and, and alongside. So be on the lookout for opportunities that North is going to serve at Phoenix Rescue Mission, but also you can just go online. There's like a thousand things to do every single day, big and small, uh, with Phoenix Rescue Mission. So uh, be on the lookout for that. But let me pray for Kathy and, and the mission. God, we just thank you so much for Kathy and John. Thank you for John's faithfulness in, um, in going with Kathy along this journey and saying, hey, you know, we'll figure it out. That was uh, faith too, and I appreciate that. I appreciate Kathy's willingness to deny herself and continue to learn. Uh, we pray for Phoenix Rescue Mission. Uh, we pray for the, the ministry that they, they do, the, the money that they need to pull that off to change lives and to change lives for Christ. And so we lift all that up to you in your name. Amen. Thank you. So you might be asking yourself, okay, 
so then what is, what is the sacrificial faith for me? Uh, well, my guess is sacrificial faith for you is going to be different than it is for me. And sacrificial faith for you today might be different than sacrificial faith for you a year from now. But I think the question is worth asking. When I consider sacrificial faith, I get a little confused because it's, it's easy for me to say, okay, so what, what, what is sacrificial faith not? I just, this is how my brain thinks. If I know, if I know not what, what not to do, then I can understand what sacrificial faith is. So I kind of have to look at like the opposite of sacrificial faith. Um, and so, I mean, it's like being in a, a pitch black dark room and considering light. It's hard to, it's hard to do that. It's when, if you're super, super hungry and you're considering the idea of being full and satiated and food all, all around you, it's, it just puts things in perspective. It's kind of like, you know, the opposite of like a really, really good beard, like this beard right here, and then like a really, really awful beard, uh, <laughs> this one right here. <laughs> the opposites. Uh, sorry, Adam. Actually, sorry, Kayla. It's, uh, uh, no, I, I kid, I kid. Uh, but it's important for me to think about the opposite of something so I can fully kind of understand what something is or it isn't. So when I think of sacrificial faith, I think the opposite of that would be self-trust. I think self-trust is this inward-focused idea where it's void of anything outside of my power, void of any faith in God. Sacrificial faith is outward-focused and puts faith in God and not myself. So to kind of compare and contrast these two ideas, self-trust would say, I got this. And sacrificial faith says, God's got this. Way too many times do I go into a conversation with someone, whether it's a serious conversation or it's just hanging out with a buddy, with a whole lot of self-trust. How often am I stopping, God, give me, give me the wor your words. Give me, give me your guidance today. I go into way too often with this idea of self-trust that I got this. I can figure it out. Sacrificial faith says God's got this. Self-trust says me first. Sacrificial faith says others first. Conventional wisdom or human wisdom is, would be in the self-trust category, and then sacrificial faith would be supernatural insight. So conventional wisdom or human wisdom says save your money, save, save, save. Invest your money, invest, invest, invest. Store up your money, store up, store up, store up. Supernatural insight might be every now and then to not take that extra bonus that you got, extra $2,000, whatever it is, and give it away. Maybe. Self-trust says my image. Sacrificial faith says humility. Self-trust says worldly gain or worldly success. Sacrificial faith says kingdom-minded. I was reminded of this about six weeks ago. Aaron Anderson and I were talking in the office, and he's like, how's, how's tryouts going for Bryson? He wants to make the basketball team. How's it going? I was like, they're going pretty well. We're halfway through, you know. And, and he goes, yeah, I'm excited. I, think, I hope he makes a team. And I'm like, yeah, me too. And we're trying to gain the you know, favor of the coaches and gain favor of the players and just do all the things we're, we're doing. We're going we're gonna to succeed in this. And he goes, I'm, I'm just mostly excited that Bryson may have a chance to influence those guys for Christ. I hadn't even thought of that. Not once had I considered the fact that kingdom-minded perspective that this could be a tool for him. And I was thankful for that encouragement and challenge from him. 
when considering during this Advent season how to focus on a true king with our hope, with our joy, and with our sacrificial faith, I think it's worth considering these matters. Self-trust or sacrificial faith. Two weeks ago, Jay challenged us with to fast or to give up something or add something to our life to allow us to point us to Christ. I hope that you've participated in that and you've seen God's faithfulness. Last week, there was a prayer guide that we were given that we were to fill in names of the relationships that we had so we can pray for them. One of those relationships was with someone who is not a believer, who has not yet placed their faith in Jesus. And I'm going to kind of take that and run with that idea this morning in response to a sacrificial faith. I'm going to ask us to consider someone in our life that does not yet have a faith in Jesus. I want you to think about that this morning, pray about it, and then what we're going to do this morning, because prayer, I don't know about for you, but for me, is a sacrifice. I don't want to stop. I don't want to take the time. I don't want to put something in God's hands. I would rather own it, have, take my own control. But praying for others is a sacrifice. It is a sacrificial gift. It shows sacrificial faith. So what I would like to do, and I'll give some instructions, I would like you to think and pray about someone that you know that you would love, it, love to see that them coming to a faith in Jesus. And then whenever you feel led, walk over to the table over here, and there's going to be a card. And I want you to write the name down on that card that you're going to commit to pray for them. Write down their name, first name, first and last name, however you want to do that. And then you're going to take it to the table next to it, and you're going to drop that card off. The card is not for you today. You're going to drop the card off. And this is where it gets a little chaotic and fun. We're going to have a good time with it, okay? Then you're going to walk to the other side of the worship center. And you're going to go to the take a name table. And you're going to take the name that someone else wrote down today. And so you'll be praying for the person you wrote down. And then we'll be faithfully praying for the name of someone else in this room that somebody else wrote. And we may never know what happens with that person. But in order to sacrificially show our faith today, I'd love it for you to consider putting down a name of someone, putting it down on the other table, and walking across the room and grabbing that card so we can faithfully pray. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. You might be in the room this morning and you don't have a faith in Christ yet. I would love to meet you. I'd love to have you come join one of the prayer partners on the side of the room, and we'll, we'll talk to you about that. If you're not ready to make that commitment today, okay, let's talk about it. But maybe if you are, I'd love to pray with you um, and put your faith in Christ. And we have our prayer table in the back. You can record your praises there, requests there. Or if you just like prayer for something else, come see our prayer partners. Uh, but on Monday, when I was at the funeral, this was a funeral for my grandpa. I called him G-Pops. 
two months ago, my dad's dad passed, and, and last week my mom's died, dad passed. Both of them were believers in Jesus. Uh, my grandpa was 84. He's in heaven now. He left my grandma, my G-moms, of 63 years of marriage. And I got a chance to, as the oldest grandchild, to share at the service. And I talked about the different qualities of my grandpa. And one of the qualities that just jumped out to me and other people was the fact that, that my G-pops, no matter who he was talking to, he talked about Jesus. He talked about his love for Jesus, the way Jesus changed his life, his faith in Christ. He did it all the time, whether they wanted to hear it or not. You know, at the mechanic, with a neighbor, with family, you know, at the doctor, just Christ. And him and my G-moms would make a list of people that had names and they would pray over them for folks who accept Christ. And then they lived it out, they loved them well. And it made a difference in people's lives. And that's the encouragement for you, hopefully, that for the next year and two months, so till the end of 2020, that card that you have put up on your fridge or in your car or wallet or whatever it is, be praying for that person. Be praying for the person that you wrote down today. And let's see what God does with that. Because I think it's worth considering a sacrificial faith during this time of year. I love you. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.